Well, good morning to all of you online and all of you in the building. It's a real pleasure to, to have so many people this morning as we seek to worship the Lord together. Uh, Neil will be preaching this morning as we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark as we look to prepare ourselves for Easter. Uh, This morning we'll be looking at uh, Mark 14, uh, verse 27 to 42, entitled, Battling in Prayer to Do the Father's Will. It's part of our sermon series, as I say, uh, culminating on the 4th of April. And sometimes we, we may struggle in our own lives to believe that the Lord really hears our prayers, that he does listen to us. And yet he does listen to us because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, he does hear our prayers. Psalm 130 speaks of that. Uh, Let me just read from from, uh, Psalm 130, verse 1 to 4. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Let's pray together. And Father God, we thank you that as we cry out to you, you hear our voice because of Jesus. Because he was forsaken that we might be welcomed into your presence, that you would hear our cry for mercy. And Lord, we thank you that if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But you're, you have wiped away the record of our sins that we come before you blameless and forgiven. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you would help us to revere you and serve you in everything that we are, in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 14, verses 27 to 42. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with them, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, 
Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Thanks, Anne. Well, good morning, everybody. It's uh, good to be able to see people in the building this morning rather than just speak to, to the camera, but we do preach to you at home as well. So we pray now as we come to God's word. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And we pray this morning you would enable us to know something more of your heart for us, Help us to also understand more of our own hearts, our own weaknesses, and our own need for you. And thank you for the way you showed your love to us through Jesus Christ and his willingness to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know how many of you watched the um, interview with Harry and Meghan the other week. I've got no intention of uh, giving you my view on that or taking sides. But I'm fascinated by the amount of interest and emotion, in many cases, it generated. Unless I reflect on the reason for that, I think it seems to me that people are keen to get to know the real person behind the image of someone they see so often in in the public eye. What are they really thinking? What are they really feeling? How do they really get on with their the rest of their family. People, particularly the the younger generation, appreciate it when celebrities are honest and and vulnerable because it helps them assess their own thoughts and emotions. You know, if Harry or Meghan are experiencing the same feelings as I am, then that must be somehow okay. This morning we get a rare insight into the greatest celebrity of all time, Jesus Christ. And we see the turmoil that is going on inside him as he contemplates the terror of the events that are about to unfold. Most importantly, we will see the battle he went through in prayer to do his father's will, which was to complete the mission that he'd sent him to do. What is, of course, difficult with Jesus is that he has two natures. Uh, Two natures in one, he's fully God, And he's fully man. And part of the challenge is to work out what he's thinking and feeling in his human nature and what he's thinking and feeling in his divine nature. It was in his human nature that Jesus was tempted, which showed that he was one of us, that he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And the greatest temptation he went through was to to not go ahead with his suffering and his death. Of course, if he hadn't, then none of us would have been saved. None of us would be here this morning. The passage also shows the weakness of Jesus' disciples, which is a weakness we all share. We would probably have reacted in exactly the same way as they did if we were in, in their shoes. But as we acknowledge our weakness, we also see how strong we can be if we remain prayerful, if we remain alert, as Jesus did in his darkest hour. So let's start with Jesus, who succeeded in his battle to do the Father's will. And the first thing we see is that Jesus knew what was about to happen. If you were with us two weeks ago, you may remember that we looked at the Last Supper, during which Jesus hid his disciples with some shocking news, that one of them was going to betray him. 
Our passage ends this morning in verse 42 with the sad words, Here comes my betrayer. Just as Jesus had said. Having eaten together, we're told in verse 26 that Jesus and the disciples sing a hymn and then go out to the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem. And Jesus hits them with another prediction. Now this time affects not just one of them, but all of them. He says, you will all fall away. You will all desert me. You will all abandon me. And sure enough, what happens, look at verse 50. Then everyone deserted him and fled. How does Jesus know what is going to happen? Because he is the son of God. He he knows God's plan. And God's plan is written in scripture. It says there, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus is the shepherd referred to here and he knows he's going to be struck. He also knows that his sheep, his disciples, will scatter. But he also knows that this is not the end. As he says in verse 28, he will rise again. So while at first sight um, it may appear that Jesus is a victim, he's the one betrayed, the one deserted by his closest friends, he's actually in overall control of events here. This episode is neither an accident, it's nor a defeat. But it's the fulfillment of God's plan. Jesus' prediction that they will all fall away prompts a bit of a reaction from Peter in particular, which we'll come back to. But then they move on to verse 32, to a place called Gethsemane. And because Jesus knows what is about to happen, he says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He takes his closest followers, Peter, James, and John with him. And we're told in verse 33, he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. What is going on here? What we see here is in his human nature, Jesus wanted to avoid the suffering. This is not just a little bit of anxiety. These are strong descriptions here. Deeply distressed, troubled, my soul, and by which he means his whole self, is, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is desperate to avoid the coming ordeal. He's having a real struggle. He does not want to take the cup. That cup is the cup of God's wrath, the cup of suffering and judgment referred to in various passages in the Old Testament. That all those who rejected or disobeyed God will end up drinking. It's the cup that we all deserve to drink because by nature we've all fallen short of God's standards. And the only way we can be spared from drinking that cup is if somebody else drinks it for us. Somebody who stands in our place, somebody who acts as our substitute. To drink it on behalf of humankind that person would have to be fully human for it to be an acceptable substitute. But that person would also have to be sinless. And they would therefore have to be God. The only person who fits that category is Jesus. And he's now about to undergo the the suffering and the death that was God's plan for him. 
It's a terrible prospect. It's, it's terrible physically, not just the excruciating pain of the, the crucifixion, but that terrible flogging as well. It's terrible emotionally. Betrayal, desertion, wrongful arrest, mockery. It's terrible spiritually. Jesus is about to bear the wrath of God for the sins of the whole of humankind. He's about to be separated from his father, plunged into darkness. That is why he pours out his soul to his father in repeated prayer. Three times he prays the same thing. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. The hour being the moment his whole life has been leading to, that he has predicted will happen when he's unjustly condemned, mocked, flogged, and crucified. Abba, Father, he says in that intimate expression, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. And what we get here is not just an insight into Jesus' mind, but an insight into his intimate relationship with his father. He knows that everything that happens is within the control of his father. And so what he's asking is whether there's any other way to achieve the salvation of his people without drinking the cup. But look how the prayer concludes. Yet not what I will, but what you will. In his divine nature, Jesus wanted to do his Father's will. Although the human nature is terrified of what is about to happen, in his divine nature, he knows that he has to submit to the will of his Father. And not just out of a dutiful obedience, but because he and the Father share the same will. They are both God. They both want to show mercy to to humankind, make it possible for us to be forgiven and reconciled to God. And this example of Jesus' prayer is, is a good one for us to follow. It is right to pour out our souls to God. We saw that last week, didn't we, in the story of Hannah. As we express our deepest needs and desires, we're going deeper in our relationship with God. But as we do so, we're not somehow pressurizing or manipulating God to take pity on us and allow us to get our own way. As one commentator said, prayer is not about changing God's mind, but aligning our request with his will. Which means that if our will is not aligned to God's will, it is our will that must give way. Jesus is in agony about what is to happen. If he had not experienced that anguish, it would be difficult for us to believe that he really sympathized with us in our human weakness. But in his human nature, he is learning obedience and teaching us how we should be obedient to God. His prayer was that the hour might pass from him, but that ultimately his father's will would be done. Well, if you look at verse 41, we see the answer to his prayer. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. It is not the Father's will in this case that the hour should pass from his Son, but that the hour should come. And having prayed and entrusted himself to the will of the Father. Notice the the new resolve, the strength of Jesus in verse 42. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. He has accepted the answer to his prayer. And he's now prepared to face the hour trusting in the strength his Father has granted him. 
And in Luke's gospel we read there, it's more explicit that an angel from heaven appeared, we're told, and strengthened him. I wonder if you've experienced that type of answer to prayer yourself. Maybe it's not been God's will to to take away the, the source of your suffering, but he's given you a new strength to face the suffering. And in so doing, you've come closer to to God. One of the obvious examples is serious illness, where we're either praying for our own healing or that of someone dear to us. And for whatever reason, God chooses not to heal. But he gives us the strength to cope with it, and through that we come closer to him. Well, let's come on to the disciples and apply this to ourselves as well. Jesus calls his followers to watch and pray. We need to acknowledge our human weakness, first of all. Quite often, we would like to obey Jesus. We would like to live lives that please him, but we find it so hard. And the first step to overcoming that is recognizing our own weakness, our own vulnerability to temptation. And we see that here in the contrast between the attitude of Jesus and that of the disciples. Jesus is aware of his human weakness, and therefore he falls to the ground, he prays. But what about the disciples? Jesus has already told them that they will fall away, they will fail him. And what is their reaction? Have a look at verse 29. Peter says, even if all fall away, I will not. Jesus answers, truly, I tell you today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And then Peter has the nerve to insist, well, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. What's going on here? Are they they liars and deceivers? Are they just political manipulators who will go along with the latest person who is popular until he disappears? No, these are all sincere disciples of Jesus. We see that in the final verse of the chapter when Peter realizes what he's done. In verse 72, we're told he broke down and wept. How often do we show such remorse when we fail Jesus, when we disobey him? Peter was sincere in his faith. His his problem, like that of all the disciples, was that they placed too much confidence in their own abilities. They were unrealistic about their weakness. And what that misplaced confidence in themselves amounts to is, is arrogance. They're saying, I can achieve things in my own strength. I don't need the help and strength that God promises to provide through his Holy Spirit. As it says in verse 38, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What exactly does that mean? It's referring to the inner conflict that goes on inside uh, Christians, which Paul describes them so well in Romans 7, where he says, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. We want to please God, and yet we're still in our sinful physical bodies. So our natural tendency is to seek physical comfort, the least painful option. For the disciples, their temptation was to, to run away, to put their own safety before loyalty towards Jesus. How often do we find ourselves in that situation? One of the things that make us 
afraid. Maybe you would have liked to have knocked on doors this afternoon and given out Easter goodie bags, but part of you is just a little bit afraid of that. Maybe you're asked to do something at work uh, uh, that you're uncomfortable about, and you know you should say no, that's not what Jesus would like you to do, but you, you go along with it, you say yes, okay. You're more afraid of your boss. Maybe a conversation comes up with your friends or your, your, your colleagues about a current issue, and everyone's piling in with their, their worldly view, and you'd like to present an alternative view that Jesus would present. But you find yourself just keeping quiet. How do we protect ourselves against letting Jesus down in these situations? Well, we need to remain prayerful and alert. What did Jesus command the disciples to do? Look at verse 34. It says, stay here and keep watch. Literally, stay awake. This is not because he needs their, their moral support at this time or that they, they're keeping watch in case the guards come so they can all flee just in time. It's because he's concerned for them. He knows their weakness. He knows that they are about to fall into temptation. And therefore the best thing that they could do is pray for strength. Look at verse 38. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. But of course they don't. Is it because they're just so physically tired they cannot stay awake? Maybe they had too much wine with their Passover meal? Maybe, but I wonder whether it's because actually, as we've seen, they have too much confidence in their own human strength. Or because they still have not taken seriously Jesus' warning. He actually said to Peter, tonight you were going to betray me. So you'd have thought Peter would be extra vigilant. But three times Jesus comes back and finds them asleep. Before Peter goes on to deny Jesus three times, he's already let him down three times by not praying. And understandably, Jesus is disappointed. He says, couldn't you keep watch for one hour? He can see their failure unfolding in front of his eyes. He knows they need strength if they're going to be obedient, and yet they're sleeping. What this passage is teaching us is that We do need to be spiritually alert to temptation. We do need to pray for strength to resist. Jesus taught us to pray, didn't he, in the Lord's Prayer. uh, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from from the evil one. There's a prayer we should be praying to God. And he gives us here a model for the proper resistance to temptation. He prepared for his own testing through vigilance and prayer. What that means is being honest with ourselves about our weaknesses so that we can be better prepared to fight them. We're all vulnerable in different areas. And in our particular area of vulnerability, it is dangerous to think like the disciples that we will somehow be okay. That we will not betray God. We will not let him down. We need to be realistic about our human weakness. But we can also be grateful that God does provide us with the resources we need to fight temptation. And we can use them. If Jesus needed to pray in his hour of temptation, then how much more do we need to pray? To go into a spiritually dangerous situation where we're vulnerable without having prayed is like going into battle defenseless. 
It'd be like a, a doctor going into a ward full of COVID patients to try and help them without having had a vaccine, without any PPE at all. If we go into battle without prayer, we will fail. If we go into battle having prayed, we will have the confidence and the protection that comes from the Spirit. Just as the disciples let Jesus down, so will we from time to time. There will be times when we fail. But the good news here is that we don't need to despair when we fail. Whilst it may be painful to be reminded of our human weakness, it is a wonderful reassurance that even when we let Jesus down, he never lets us down. He never gives up on those who repent of their failings and who come to him and seek his forgiveness. Even after telling his disciples that they would all fall away, Jesus says in verse 28, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. In other words, his death is not the end, and nor is his disciples' failure the end. They will scatter, but they will also regather back in their homeland in Galilee. The very fact that Jesus went through with his mission, that he still took the cup, means that we do not need to fear. We don't need to despair. However much we mess up, Jesus is waiting for us to ask for his forgiveness and to restore us. And to pray, as David did in Psalm 51 after he messed up, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Well, as we come to a close, this passage is a wonderful reminder of the great cost involved for Jesus in submitting to the will of his Father. Despite his emotional turmoil, Jesus showed that he was willing to obey the Father. This was not the Son being subjected to, to cosmic child abuse, as some have claimed. It was the process of reaching the point where his will to obey the Father was stronger than his human desire to protect himself. He was sharing the will of his Father. As it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus was prepared to go through with that terrible process because of the joy of our salvation. Through his obedience, he was able to remove the barrier of sin, that barrier that stood between us and God, and give us the chance of a relationship with him. It's an incredible gift that he offers to those who will trust him, those who are prepared to say, not what I will, but what you will. And although the Christian life is tough, God gives us the resources to continue in obedience to Christ. That means being aware of our weakness, being aware of temptation, being spiritually alert, being prayerful, and remembering the obedience of Christ under death. Let's just spend a moment of, of quiet, um, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what are our areas of weakness? What are the situations in which we may be tempted this week to let Jesus down? And ask him for the strength to stand firm and to remain faithful to him. It's a moment of quiet.
Father, God, we do ask for your forgiveness for the many times in which we've let you down and we know that there will be many more where we fail you. But we thank you that because of Jesus' obedience to you, because he was willing to submit to your will, he was willing to go to the cross, that we can be forgiven. And we can look forward to an eternity with you. We thank you for that great reassurance. But we do pray that um, in our lives that you would give us the strength to resist temptation. You would give us the strength to be faithful to Jesus. And as we go into this week ahead, we pray that you would make us alert and prayerful. Not trusting in our own strength, but trusting the power your Holy Spirit gives us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Let me pray as we apply the truth that we've heard this morning to our hearts for the week ahead. Let's pray. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. And Father, we thank you for your amazing love for us in sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sins in full, that we might be forgiven, that we might receive his Spirit that would allow us to live for your glory. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be people who are dependent on you this week. In every moment of the day that we would take time to ask you, Lord, for strength, to ask you for wisdom and discernment and guidance as we seek to live holy lives for you. And we thank you, Lord, for your goodness in Jesus. We thank you that we have complete and total forgiveness for what he's done for us. And we pray, Lord, that that would refresh our hearts as we live for you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.